0: History of Simian Cinema. I'm Chris Mattiello. And I'm Christian Larson, And this is episode 8, 1995's Congo.
1: And joining us today is a special guest, Vishon Vanish. Vishon, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. How, how's everyone doing tonight?
1: Well, after some technical difficulties, I think we're back in action.
0: I wish technical difficulties would have kept me from watching Congo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Vishon, tell us what your history is with the movie Congo.
2: Well, it's like I always wanted to call them, like an HBO matinee mainstay where you can guarantee it on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning that that'll come on. So for a nine, ten-year-old like myself, I would watch that way more times than any normal child should actually have to see that movie.
1: The first time I saw it was in theaters when it came out, and that was the last time I saw it, and I was on a date, and I didn't remember much of it when I went into it this latest time, and it wasn't because my date was really distracting in any way, uh, it was because this movie was surprisingly boring. And uh, Chris, I think you agree with me on that.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, this movie is way worse than a Michael Crichton novel-to-film adaptation should be two years after Jurassic Park. Like, how did they let this happen?
1: Yeah, the early to mid-90s were kind of a a golden age for these action-packed, blockbuster, disaster, monster, awesome movies. And Michael Crichton was like a golden goose. This kind of set things in a bad direction. I think after this, we got underwhelming stuff. And Michael Crichton is not really the hot property and and wouldn't be the hot property after this than he was.
0: This isn't Jurassic Park. This isn't Jaws. I mean, I know he didn't write Jaws, but I'm talking like Spielberg stuff because this is uh, the director is a Spielberg collaborator. This is like Anaconda. (laughs) This is Sub Deep Blue Sea. I don't know what happened.
1: Well, before we get into the movie itself, we like to play a little game with our guests that we call 12 Monkeys. Vashon, we're going to ask you to summarize the plot of Congo
2: in 12 words or less. Oh, that's more than they asked the screenwriter to do, but okay. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> you can take your time. Because I even asked, like, wait, that's too many words. More words than this movie deserves. Okay, I got it. Telecom Go Company... It. Wants diamonds, sends too many people to die from monkeys.
1: <laughs>
2: Congratulations, that was a success. <laughs> and even then, that's, uh, that still sounds too a lot smarter than what this movie actually gives. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Well,
1: getting right into it, it starts off, and I'm reminded, and and I'm actually really surprised with how often I'm getting callbacks to the movie Born to Be Wild. <laughs> But I'm getting a bunch of them in this movie, and it starts with the opening that has that generic African pan flute music that was sort of everywhere in the mid-90s. And we're introduced to a team of explorers in the jungle, headed by one Mr. Bruce Campbell.
0: I was so excited to see Bruce Campbell in, I mean, what I, I had assumed from my memory of it as a 10-year-old was like a schlocky adventure B-movie, and then everything was dashed.
1: Yeah, he's killed in the first five minutes of the movie. He's this movie's Drew
2: Barrymore. Oh, yeah, that is, that is the perfect way to describe it. Wait, would he have been the biggest, yeah, he would have been the biggest star at the time? Well, in this
0: movie? Yeah. I, I think in 95 he's still... Kind of like the B-movie guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, Bruce Campbell, unfortunately, he really never broke out. And uh, I read on IMDb that he auditioned for the role of the lead in this. And they gave him the part of the guy who got killed off in the first five minutes instead. And they gave the lead to some dude that I've seen a lot of places, most notably on Nip Tuck. Yep, Dylan Uh, Walsh. Yeah. Do you guys remember anything else he's done that's notable?
2: He was in no. the stepfather remake from a few years ago. But that's oh not boy. that's not notable. I is, <laughs> is he, he the titular stepfather? Indeed he is. Oh my and boy. And his idea of step that's a whole other conversation. Let's leave let's stick to one bad movie at a time. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> so uh yeah, Bruce Campbell is Talking to his
2: fiancée,
1: I guess, they never really go into the relationship between him and Laura Linney, the scientist who's back on the base talking to him via Skype. It's a staple of these Michael Crichton movies that certain technologies are pivotal to the story that haven't really been embraced yet at the time, and this movie's chock full of them, some of which, like... Skype and GoPro cameras and that sort of thing will eventually get adopted, but other things like, say,
2: diamond-powered laser guns <laughs> never really caught on. No. Actually, it's a diamond-powered laser gun that somehow boosts telecommunications. Yeah, they never really, yeah. They don't explain that either, how the gun translates to better call service, maybe? <laughs>
1: They are a telecom company, which I wasn't even thinking about because the whole purpose was to get these diamonds. And the, the telecom company is run by this guy who's just a stereotypical blustering, egomaniacal CEO, who was originally supposed to be played by Senator Fred Thompson. No. But,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. But is instead Mr. Played- Law
0: and Order, Fred
2: Thompson. Yeah. I just can't see him swinging it? a golf club at a TV screen like that. No,
1: that's something only Joe Don Baker can do. Oh, uh, Mitchell himself. <laughs> Bruce Campbell was his son who got killed. And yes. he And this CEO guy is furious. He's smashing up the lab. And it's not because his son is dead. It's because he lost the <laughs>
2: diamond. And, and not even diamonds. Diamond singular. <laughs> he yeah. only wanted one. Yeah. One diamond versus the loss of your son, Bruce Campbell.
1: What a heartless asshole. And <laughs> and Laura Linney, the CIA agent turned scientist, tells him just that. Like, what the hell, man? Your son just died. And he's like, you gotta go and get the diamond, goddammit.
2: Like, <laughs> yeah, in the beginning of the movie, he's like, please tell him you're not sending me to Africa just to go get diamonds. And you want me to rescue your son? And then there's a beat. where he generally has to think about it for a minute. It's like, yeah, my son. I
0: like seeing Laura Linney in movies. I like her in general. And it's clear that She's been cast in the mold of, um, oh God, I feel terrible for forgetting her name. Who played Ellie in Jurassic Park? Um, Oh, L- Laura Dern. Laura Dern. I knew it was another, I just, I just wanted to call her Laura Linney. Now yeah, I it's know why. Laura, Lin- um, Laura
2: Linney, Laura Dern, and Holly Hunter. They all filled that same <laughs> niche in the 90s. Laura Dern, though, in Jurassic Park, there's a
0: softness to her that really makes you root for her and care about her. Laura Linney in this movie, and I mean, this is kind of her niche in general, she's a real, like, badass ice queen, kind of, and I don't think it works for what, I mean, I guess it's supposed to be paralleled to Dylan Walsh's bleeding heart kind of guy, but she's not the lead this movie needs.
2: Then again, if they had stuck to her actual character in the books, where she's as cold-hearted, mm-hmm. if not even more so than the Jodan Baker character, we may not have been able to relate to her at all.
0: Oh, yikes, that would have been a real "girls in the Mist situation. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: As this movie
1: progressed, I kept thinking to myself, this has got to be better in the books because none of these characters are fleshed out. None of these characters are really that sympathetic or likable. Even if they are fleshed out, it's just a cast of people that you don't want to watch. Except, of course, for the amazing performance of Ernie Hudson, which is quite possibly, in my mind, the only redeemable thing about the film, which we'll get to.
0: I kind of disagree that it's people... It's, it's people I want to watch doing something that I don't want to watch. If you tell me there's a movie with Laura Linney, Jodan Baker, Bruce Campbell, Tim Curry, Ernie Hudson, Joey Pants, I'm buying so many tickets to this movie. And then it's just a big pile of nothing it's a movie in the same way that like a sentence is a bunch of random words like that's, <laughs> just because it's a bunch of words doesn't make it a sentence like this is barely a movie
2: if you look at it just from what they present themselves so much happens that doesn't really amount to anything yeah we spent a good half an hour it, it, waiting for them to find the plane then them on the plane <laughs> then them getting off the plane then getting interrogated by someone to get onto another plane <laughs> Another
1: of the ways in which it reminds me of Born to Be Wild is that it's basically a road trip movie with a gorilla. <laughs> and and Yeah, uh, oh man, Amy and, the gorilla, fucking and, you can keep that. And <laughs> frankly the the hijinks that Will Horniff gets into with his gorilla are more entertaining than the hijinks that this gang of assholes gets into <laughs> with Amy. You know, the
0: the born to be wild monkey might be like a precocious hat stealing asshole, but this is like, uh, Amy, Amy, good gorilla. I just, oh my God, that voice. It's so, so the gorilla can talk via sign language. I guess it's
1: important to throw that out there. Yeah, that's another Crichton-esque technology
2: that might be sort of thing. Hmm, trying to think, because I remember for the longest time when I was a kid, I just assumed gorillas could do sign language they don't really articulate all that well. It wasn't until like when I saw it recently, I was like, oh no, that's just puppeteering. That explains why your hands don't really move that much for the sign language, or any of the monkeys really.
1: The gorillas in general were supposed to all be CGI, but the technology did not exist for hair or fur then i remember monsters inc was a big deal because it was the first time that they could replicate hair and fur in cgi but that technology was just not around in 95 so it's people in suits yeah uh, i don't think they really nailed the
0: monkey fur i mean I, i'm thinking of peter jackson's king kong and i don't think that looks fantastic. I think they really didn't nail that until the Planet of the Apes prequels, the ones with Franco.
2: Oh, yeah, that is true. Yeah. That's what, 20, what, 14? So a good yeah. 19 years later?
1: So Laura Linney, uh, Ice Queen former CIA agent-turned-scientist, teams up with this ape doctor and his weaselly sidekick to go to Africa to ostensibly return Amy to the wild with the help of a shadowy Romanian philanthropist played by Tim Curry. Oh, boy. Oh, man.
0: (laughs) I love Tim Curry. Rocky Horror. Hennywise. Clue. Yes. Yeah, I just, I love Tim Curry. I got to see him in, um... Spam a lot. I love him. He's amazing. What the fuck is he doing in this movie? <laughs> like all right, this I, I know I, here's what had to have happened, okay? Tim Curry and Ernie Hudson, two longtime character actors, just great, great character actors for years, get on set and they know they're on there's probably arguments between the writer and director every day, and they just go, Hey, how much do you think we can get away with before the director tells us to stop? And they just do these characters with these horrendous accents, and and no one says anything, because the movie's a dumpster fire. Yeah, like I, like yeah. you said,
2: Romanian, and I just wanted to just put that in air quotes. I haven't traveled to Romania, like, well, ever, but I'm pretty sure no one talks like that anywhere. <laughs> Save the count. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, he is doing a Dracula <laughs> Yeah, he's doing, like, sort of
1: a scary Russian accent from, like, an 80s movie. Like, he's playing the pilot of the MiG that's trying to shoot down Iron Eagle.
2: Herkema Homolka, formerly of Romania, free now of the chains of Ceausescu, traveling the world, doing good. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean
1: every line he elevates just through his scenery chewing and his ridiculous
2: accent, so you gotta give him credit for that. Even the lines he doesn't even get to say like on the airstrip with Ernie Hudson where for whatever reason in the middle of Africa he's gonna start dropping (laughs) N-bombs.
1: Yeah, if you're gonna drop the N-word perhaps the airfield in the middle of a war-torn African country is not the best place to do it, (laughs) Tim Curry, you fucking idiot.
0: This movie tries to do so much. It's got Not like you said that born to be wild environmentalist returning uh, the gorilla to its native habitat. It's got the war-torn Africa stuff, and then it's guerrillas murdering people. It can't do all of those and keep a consistent tone. No movie could. The
1: war-torn African country stuff is all very generic. It's all just like soldiers running around yelling in a supposed African language at people. There's a scary police station where people are being held in terrible conditions. There's a corrupt general that they have to bribe to get through whatever country they're in played by Delroy Lindo in a pretty
0: oh, another name
1: yeah <laughs> god damn it in a pretty memorable scene if only for the fact that he yells at Tim Curry to stop eating his sesame cake Mr.
0: Homolka mm. stop eating my sesame cake
1: stop eating my sesame cake
2: mm-hmm. That he in turn forced him to eat in the first place.
1: Yeah, he offers the sesame cake to them. Have some uh, coffee and cake. Have some. They hand over what looks like hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash to him. And then he's <laughs> like, hey, put the goddamn sesame cake down. You're a bag of shit. I love <laughs> He keeps yelling over and over again that Tim Curry's a bag of shit and Tim Curry's just sitting there looking awkward. It's pretty great. There's well, no In lead. Delroy's
2: defense, he kind of was. We just didn't know it at the time. This has to be another scene
0: that Tim Curry and him just went nuts on while the screenwriter and the director were arguing. There's like, we got this, we'll improv it.
1: I could see Tim Curry being like, Delroy, I have the most delicious idea for this <laughs> scene. What if I'm eating the cake that you offered to me and then you yell at me not to eat it?!
0: They're just in front of the cameras screaming, like, improv requests from the cameraman. like, give us, all right, we need a food, cake, got it.
1: Oh, and we've glossed over the Ernie Hudson character. We've mentioned him before, but he's sort of the fixer slash
2: guide that they all meet up with. He's clearly channeling Lando Calrissian the entire time. Not just from the attitude and the swagger, but literally the hairstyle and the facial hair as well. He
1: is one smooth motherfucker, this guy. He's got this really smooth... Britishy kind of accent. He is calm and cool under any
2: situation. Karen Ross. That's me. Monroe Kelly. I'm your great white hunter for this trip, though I happen to be black.
1: How bad is this news for us?
2: Well, whenever the leadership of one of these little central African countries comes into question, they tend to just murder everybody. Oh my God. Not really. They live for the opportunity to settle scores, and they've got a lot of scores to settle. It's like what's going on in the Congo? Things are pretty bad in the Congo right now. We heard. There's the kagania pissed off. Can't blame them. Twentieth century sucks. Maybe the twenty first will be better.
1: And another thing I learned from IMDB is that this is his favorite movie role of all time.
2: Ah. Uh, well yeah, he, it gives him a lot to do. do. <laughs>
0: That must be quoting him from, like, the promotional tour of this movie.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I guess so. But when you think back, it's not like he had a lot to do as Winston Zedmore or, what, the principal from uh, The Substitute
2: <laughs> Tom uh,
0: The mentally challenged groundskeeper in, um, uh, what's that movie with The, the Hand babysitter. That Rocks the Cradle? The, yes.
1: <laughs>
2: oh, Speaking of HBO yeah, mainstays... So,
1: yeah. So, I mean, you, you can't really blame him for liking a movie where he just gets to be a mixture of Lando Calrissian and Han Solo.
0: And his uh, his winning hand on the bet with Tim Curry was this colonial English African accent, which, whoa, whoa, no.
1: See, I love it. I, I think his accent is great, but. Oh, man. I well, at least, you know, they're
0: doing more than Joey Pants, who just woke up and was Joey Pants.
2: Yeah. Like, that- they roused him from his sleep, then just let him ride around in a go kart for a little bit, and then go right back. Yeah. It's just a totally wasted
1: character, and I, I feel like it's another thing that's probably explained better, or presented better in the book.
0: It might be, but Michael Crichton also, like, Tim Curry's character's name is Herkimer Homolka? <laughs> like, yeah, when I first heard him say that name, I was like, that's Michael gotta Michael Crichton be wrote that. Like, Michael Crichton sat down and went, yep, that's a name. <laughs> so I don't trust anything that this guy has written ever now. <laughs> <And> retroactively, everything <laughs>
1: is out the window. And also along for the ride is the scientist Weasley sidekick that I briefly mentioned before. And he's played by this guy that I always see as a sidekick or like a lab technician in nineties movies. And he's just dead meat. You can tell like right off the bat. Like he's the one who's gonna go first.
0: He's in true lies, right? That's where I I think. Oh yeah, he I was the, he the nervous role.
2: tech guy in True Lies at Yes. Manages to save Elijah Deuce from some of the hostages. I'm trying to think, what else, yeah, is, he? What I'm, else I'm, is he in? He's in a lot of stuff, but always is the same guy, so it's hard to pick out which is which.
1: I got him mixed up with the lab technician from Hollow Man who dies, but <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> they both kind of serve the same purpose in 90s movies. And, like, if you look at his IMDb, it's, like, technician number two, assistant number four, guy who gets killed in first 20 minutes.
0: But now he's, like, seemingly working with George Clooney and Ben Affleck on stuff. He worked on behind-the-scenes on Good Night and Good Luck, Argo. Like, those are real movies, so he he clearly saw where his career was going and decided to make some (laughs) upward movements.
1: They take a plane to a truck to another plane, and... When they're on the plane, they get fired at with a rocket launcher by the Zaire Air Force. And there's an arguably pretty cool scene where Ernie Hudson and Laura Linney are firing flare guns out the door of the plane to distract the rockets, which I thought was a pretty cool move for a movie where nothing really was happening except a lot of thriving and exposition.
0: Yeah, that scene's fun. It's brought down or up, (laughs) maybe, depending on... Where you're coming from here by a whole bunch of dialogue about getting the gorilla either pilled up or drunk?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. You, you could have told me yeah. Amy's last name was Winehouse with the amount of booze that they give her th- throughout the entire oh. movie. Oh, oh! <laughs> Took her down a peg. For, yeah, pour... take that. Uh, she's yeah. Dead.
1: Take that, Amy Winehouse. You got burned on the Monkey Club, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Amy. Amy, no rehab, Amy. <laughs>
1: They give her a pill, which they say is Gorilla Prozac, and I'm like, oh yeah. yeah, mid-90s, Prozac, very topical. And they jump out of the plane, and they land on the ground, and uh, back to the road trip.
0: Yeah, Joey Pants pops in again, and then he, uh, he, he just drops them off into the movie, and he rides out.
1: Here's a little interesting tidbit. Uh, one of the pilots of that airplane that gets shot down, Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett.
2: Oh, you know, really? Yes. Huh. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. They cut to a guy driving the plane at one point who has like this ridiculous curly mustache.
2: That was him! Poopies. All I could think of was that mustache looks ridiculous. And where did they yeah. find this guy in Africa?
1: Yeah, well, he looks like some old British colonizing guy who would be wearing like a pith helmet and riding an elephant. <laughs> But uh, he's flying you know, a plane.
0: That's interesting, an interesting coincidence. Because while I was watching this movie, as I said, I had Jurassic Park in the back of my mind the whole time. But all I could think of uh, was how much closer this was to Jurassic World. Like with this, oh, we're training up the monkey and the monkey can talk, and oh, the guy from Parks and Recreation is talking to raptors or whatever, and he has a cameo in that too. Jimmy Buffett. Uh, That's right. Jimmy Buffett's really sneaking his way into all of the garbage, uh, all of those garbage Michael Crichton, (laughs) circular, kind of out of the Jurassic Park bubble uh, movies. Poor guy.
1: See, if it reminds me of any Jurassic Park, it reminds me of The Lost World, because there's a whole lot of wandering around the woods and a whole lot of talking, punctuated by a few moments of arguably cool
2: action. I wanted to refute that really badly. Well, that's not true. Wait. Yeah, it is.
1: (laughs) Oh, uh, the monkey scientist guy gets a
2: leech on his dick. <laughs> and oh.
1: this, is, this is a hilarious little scene.
2: Well, it's supposed to be. No, wait, it's not even supposed to be hilarious. It's supposed to be some sort of weird kind of um flirtatious moment between him and Lauren Linney as well towards the end of it. Where after he's yeah. finally gotten off and then she kind of just stares at it, aware where it was, and then looks at him. then he looks back
1: he comes running out of his tent like looking down the front of his pants and he's like somebody help me i've got something on my dick well i mean not quite like (laughs) that but kind of a little more unprofessional than you'd think a scientist would react
2: oh shit! somebody help me what is it something on my it's like a creature of growth or something on my look oh that's a leech take it off (laughs) i'm not going to take it off it's your leech, you take it off need some help no <laughs> yeah. Burn it off with of this. Oh. Mm. <laughs> this is disgusting.
1: <laughs> and Ernie Hudson offers his cigarello to burn it off with, and he does, and Laura Lenny keeps giving him these flirtatious looks. We're supposed to find this funny, <laughs> and we're supposed to find this flirtatious, and it's not
2: either. Yeah, I could I really couldn't and feel any t- ki- any kind of chemistry between Dylan Walsh or Laura Linney to be honest I felt more between Laura Linney and Ernie Hudson
1: and if there's really any chemistry between anyone it's between Dylan Walsh and Amy (laughs) oh yeah oh god at first first she's jealous of Laura Linney's character and Dylan has to say oh she's ugly ugly lady and he's like sorry I have to do this she gets really jealous and that's (laughs) fucking weird
0: oh yeah Oh, yeah. There's some weird relationship stuff in this movie. Laura Linney's flirting with Dylan Walsh, and Bruce Campbell's, her fiancé's glorious masculine chin is not even cold yet. Like, she's just like, oh, yeah, why are we here again? I don't know. Fuck it. And then Dylan Walsh is probably fucking that gorilla.
1: There's even one point where he's coddling Amy and the African guys say husband and wife in African and all start laughing. And he's like, I think they're laughing at us, Amy. Ugh, what a weirdo.
2: It also doesn't help that there are certain scenes in the background where two other characters, like, say, Laura Linney and Tim Curry are talking about something. But then you'll see Dylan and Amy running in the background, frolicking and whatnot.
1: (laughs) They do a lot of frolicking and, like, play wrestling and stuff. uh... Let's talk about something else. Um...
2: (laughs) Will it be a different movie?
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <You know. laughs> they they decide to mix things up by taking a river rafting trip, and they have a little sing-along of California Dreaming, which is kind of cute, I guess, because all the African guys know all the words, and they're all singing along. And they get in the raft, and as they're floating down the river, night falls, and I'm just thinking, something happened. Something, please, happen, And it kind of does, because a hippo attacks them.
2: Yeah, that, that was one thing. I oh, thought yeah. maybe it was the editing that was weird, but I thought there were more. But I only see Ernie Hudson shoot the one, and then it kind of stops.
1: Yeah, they fire some guns at it, and it goes away. And that's it. At that point, I was thinking back to the 1933 King Kong. <laughs> and I was like, the scenes of them fighting monsters in that movie were more suspenseful and more immersive than anything in this movie. That's really a shame.
0: Yeah, yeah. I feel like they realized the gorillas looked like shit. (laughs) And they tried to pull like a Jaws and fix it in editing. And that's why some of Laura Linney's shooting a gun has this really terrible like motion blur slow-mo effect on it. I just don't think they wanted to show the gorillas and realized, oh, crap, this is a movie about... Multiple killer gorillas in the jungle. We're fucked.
1: Yeah, we don't get a lot of killer gorillas until the very end. Until they get <coughs> to the city the city of Zinj, which is where Tim Curry wanted them to go all along, where the fabled King Solomon's Mines supposedly are. And they get there, and there's hieroglyphics everywhere, and... I don't really know a whole lot about African culture, but I'm pretty sure that, I mean, yes, the Egyptians were African, but I don't think Central African tribes had hieroglyphics, especially ones
2: that looked like Egyptian hieroglyphics, but I don't know. I'm no expert. But then again, neither were they, considering they couldn't actually be able to shoot any of this movie in actual Africa.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happens where I'm wondering, like, they run into a tribe who's performing this elaborate death ceremony over one of bruce campbell's colleagues and i'm thinking to myself i wonder if they really put in the effort to like find out what a ceremony like this actually would be like or
2: nope, (laughs) yeah no
1: this is every bit as offensive as the tribesmen in 1933's king kong except uh, it's the 90s and you should know better (laughs) yeah it looks more authentic quote-unquote I'm willing to bet they did not have a uh, advisor on African history and
2: culture on set. Just a thought. I feel like they probably thought it would be Ernie Hudson, and he just kind of went with it, so they wouldn't fire him. <laughs>
1: oh God! They're like, "Hey guys, what do you think? Is this cool? Can we can we do this?" And they're like, uh, "Yeah, are we getting paid? Great. Yeah, sure. This is uh, this is wonderful. At, this is totally African."
0: <laughs> oh Jesus.
2: There's a lot of that going around, especially whenever whenever anything vaguely African comes up in the movie, all Ernie Hudson has to do is just kind of step forward, <laughs> remind him who he is, and then everything resolves itself. Mysterious tribe shows up. Ernie Hudson just steps up. Yep, I'm in charge. All right, then, we'll yeah. take your word for it. This African warlord wants us detained in this truck. Maybe I'll step forward and let him know that we have a monkey. Problem solved. Ernie Hudson, man, he's getting it done. Like, if he could could have uh, talked to those gray gorillas, I'm pretty sure they would have backed down. Well, he
1: can't. And the the gorillas show up, and uh, like you were saying before, there's this weird kind of slow-mo going on during the gorilla attack. And I don't know if that's just because the gorillas don't, look that good or if they were trying to add tension but the slow-mo really doesn't do much i'm not feeling tension
2: during any of these attacks no
0: that's because the movie has no no consistency in its tone
2: the very first time you happen to see the aftermath it's oh this is gory it's nondescript but it's gory but then especially towards the end where they do a lot of discretion shots mostly i guess to hide the fact they couldn't afford to do a lot of the special effects to make. Those bodies look the way they do once it's over. So, like, the, well, spoiler alert, the death of Tim Curry's characters, it's only implied because of the sound effects they add in post, but from what they see, they just kind of lazily bump into him, and he sells those hits pretty well. (laughs) You know, these aren't, like, Cannibal gorillas. They aren't
1: flesh-eating gorillas. They're apparently this evil tribe trained them to guard the diamonds. So they're like guard dog gorillas. So they just punch Tim Curry to death. And the Weasley sidekick dies off camera, so you don't really see what happens to him. So it's, it's not really... And after they first get attacked, instead of getting the hell out of there, they decide to set up camp right in front of the city at night. (laughs) And they set up these automatic turrets, and everyone has these giant machine guns, and they have laser detection and thermal imaging. So they're really taking all of the stakes out of it. They're taking all of the tension out of it, because obviously they'll be able to shoot the hell out of these monkeys. And Ernie Hudson's like, oh, they're smart. They're too smart. But it's like, they're
2: not that smart. You're going to be able
1: to shoot them.
2: Well, their smartest idea was to do the same thing they always did, was run at things until there were too many of them to be stopped. Yeah.
0: So, I'm not a screenwriter, fortunately or maybe unfortunately, but there's a few really basic things I feel like this movie could have done to make the audience, say, give a shit. One of which would be, like, make somebody care that people are getting murdered. When Dylan Walsh's assistant, it's not the the stranger, like, he clearly has a history with him and works... Professionally, alongside of him, he gets murdered off-screen. Dylan Walsh does not give a shit. There's no, <laughs> like, emotional impact to this death at all. And also, like, the Tim Curry character is not... They set him up to be, like, a real heel, but he's not. He's just a guy who wants some diamonds and is also there. This really should have been Joe Don Baker. He's the real, like, loathsome shitheel. heel He's the one that should have been there, being an asshole, being greedy about the diamonds, who gets his head crushed by a gorilla. Like, nothing makes sense. It's just such obvious stuff that would make the audience have some emotional attachment, and they do none of it.
1: That's very true. Tim Curry ends up being kind of a pathetic character towards the end. Everybody sort of treats him like shit, and all he wants is to find this lost city. And he's fucked up at finding it several times before. And it really, you're right, like, Joe Don Baker's character is one of those classic movie characters that deserves a comeuppance at the end, and he just doesn't. I mean, he gets kind of a comeuppance, which we'll get to, but they finally, after their night of just gunning down gorillas in the woods with no tension whatsoever, that could have been so cool, them sitting in tents in the jungle at night, Listening for, like, the crack of a branch. But no, with their lasers and turrets, there's nothing to be scared of. But anyway, the next day, they go back into the city and they find the mines, which is really just a room with diamonds scattered all over the floor. <laughs> now, I don't I don't know a lot about mining, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. Yeah, it's just, yeah.
2: I can kind of brush off this of dirt and, oh, here is this massive diamond that just happens to be here and they're all over the place
1: yeah it makes it seem like diamonds grow on the walls and then like fall off onto the ground like fruit or nuts (laughs) it's a little too convenient and of course tim curry's stuffing his pockets with diamonds and it's like all right this is the part where you die Like, your hubris has gotten the best of you. And he does, which we talked about before. And the evil gorillas come pouring in from all directions. Pretty much everyone is dead. And actually, at this point, I thought Ernie Hudson was going to die. Because I was thinking a lot of times you get three kinds of deaths in these kind of movies. You get the dead meat character who was doomed from the beginning. You get the one who's been brought low by their hubris. And then you get the hero that pretty much saves the day but died in the process. And I thought they were setting up Ernie Hudson for that. Kinda glad he made it. But it's not Ernie Hudson that saves the day, it's Laura Linney. Yeah. Oh man,
0: she pulls a gun straight out of Half-Life 2. (laughs) And just starts, just starts murdering gorillas with this laser rifle. And it's 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 the trailer moment where she screams like, I'm going to put them on the endangered species list. What the hell are you doing anyway? What am I doing? I'll tell you what I'm doing. We're getting out of here.
2: We are. What about them? Put them on the endangered species list. <laughs> 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 yeah, I get oh It's so bad. Yeah, seeing in the well, context yeah. of the movie, just like, oh wait, why would you say that right now?
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> she finds... Bruce Campbell's dead body and mourns for a split second, which is a split second longer than Dylan Walsh. Uh, wait, that's not his name, Dylan Walsh. D- isn't Dylan Walsh from?
2: Uh... Yeah, from. Oh no,
1: I'm thinking Beverly Hills 90210, but I'm mixing up the two characters.
0: I'm, well. Then again, French if you Walsh. look at his hair, I think he did too. If you replace Dylan Walsh
2: with Luke Perry, is this a better movie? Oh God, well, it would. <laughs> I, I I might believe some of the stares she would give him.
1: See, I've had the pleasure of seeing Luke Perry's feature film debut. The movie's called Terminal Bliss. It's basically a poor man's Fred Easton Ellis movie about, like, idle rich kids doing drugs and having sex, and there's murder. But he's basically a bland, hunky dude in it, and after that, didn't really do a lot of feature film work, so... I don't know if he could carry it as well as Dylan Walsh does, but... Uh, uh, bland,
0: hunky dude versus Dylan Walsh's bland dude.
1: (laughs) Yes, at least there's the hunky part in this. Yeah, so Laura Linney finds the body of Bruce Campbell and mourns over it for a split second and then picks up a giant diamond and crams it in the laser gun that Bruce Campbell was holding and proceeds to slice the gorillas to ribbons. At the same time, a volcano goes off, and there's lava everywhere. And this is a big set piece. This actually, I mean, we've been talking about how crappy the effects have been. But they put a lot of work into this lava scene at the end, with the city crumbling and everything.
2: Strangely enough, this is one of the few things that, I guess, the screenwriter actually did research for the film, this how fast would the lava flow, and how quickly would a volcano erupt in this region of the world? And from all accounts, this is as accurate as a representation, Lost City aside, as what the volcano would actually look like. But it's weird that you put all your focus on this as opposed to, say, almost everything else.
1: <laughs> That's a good point. And I'm forgetting one thing. Really, the the final straw that gets the killer gorillas to back off is Amy shows up and starts being intimidating with her little girl voice. She's like, fat monkey, fat monkey, go. And they're all like, oh, dude. How do we dissolve all
0: the tension in this scene? Like, you could have Amy jump in like, assert her dominance, like, smash one of the alpha gorillas in the head, she comes in with this tiny girl <laughs> robot voice and calls them ugly.
1: Ugly
2: gorillas. Ugly go away. Oh, well, Wait, right. my qu- The actual question is, how did she manage to get the backpack on with- by herself? Again, not something that the screenwriters put much thought into. <laughs> Because there, there is the scene when like, Amy comes back to the camp, realizes everyone's gone, so her first instinct is to grab the backpack and leave. Yeah.
0: The gorillas getting murdered in the lava is definitely the set piece of the movie. It doesn't last long, but it is pretty good. You get some awesome gorilla death here, and you get some awesome lava death, which is a pretty cool combination. Possibly the second best lava death scene I've seen on film, uh, right behind another seminal 90s classic, Volcano. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> the monkeys dissolving in the lava and the ground cracking apart and the city falling to pieces is is all kind of, like, as exciting as the entire movie should have been, or at least several parts of it. But, you know, we get a little at the end. At this point, I'm like, thank God, it's almost over. But then there's that whole balloon scene where they fly up in the balloon, and Joe Don Baker calls, and he's like, did you get the diamond? And Laura Linney's like, yeah, I got the diamond, and she shoves the diamond in a laser that blows up a satellite, and Joe Don Baker's like, no!
2: Yeah, apparently that was his only satellite left, or something?
1: What a shitty telecom company. <laughs> and they throw the diamond away. They just throw it away. Like, look, I get that you're trying to make a point that, like, you want nothing to do with this diamond anymore, but that shit was probably worth a lot of money. And even Ernie Hudson is, like, out when really Ernie man. Hudson should be like, you stupid honkies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they should have just handed Ernie Hudson the fucking diamond. That yeah. should have been, they're like, we don't need it. Here, here you have it, man. Retire. You've earned it. That's the the ending for that working class stiff.
1: Like, come on. He definitely earned it, because without him, they would have been dead like five minutes after they got off the plane. But yeah, that was Congo. But that doesn't have to be the end of Congo, because it's time for our second little game, which we like to call Monkey Business. (laughs) But Sean, we're going to ask you to imagine... If a big-time Hollywood producer came to you and asked you to pitch him Congo 2, what would happen?
2: Hmm, Congo 2. Alright, I got it. It's going to be 1997. For some reason, someone thought Congo was a smash success, so they fast-tracked this in production. It opens back in the Congo. We see Amy with her, silver, her new silverback family. All of a sudden, she gets she gets taken. For whatever reason, the person who takes, takes her also has the, the backpack that lets her speak and communicate, and she tells them all about the diamond mine. Somehow, some way, this shadowy organization manages to dig inside and get diamonds, but they don't want the diamonds. No, they want the laser gun. But who has the laser gun? Laura Linney. So it's going to be a race against time for these evil companies to drag Amy back to the States to track down Laura Linney, and somehow I'm going to work Ernie Hudson. He's going to get back in here too, because you know he's the best part of the movie, so why not bring him back yeah. as well? Matter of fact, here we go. No, I got it. I'll have the rival company kidnap Ernie Hudson so they could find Amy, Let's get to the diamond mine so they can try and find the laser backpack thing. They go back to America, all three of them. Somehow she's going to hook up with Dylan Walsh's character, because reasons... No, wait, scratch that. Replace Dylan Walsh with Jason Patrick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they. I like the idea that they couldn't get Dylan Walsh for the sequel, so they got Jason Patrick. He'll
2: be another nondescript white guy that happens to also deal with primates.
1: You know, I like the idea of this shadowy organization going after more lineage characters. She's supposedly an ex-CIA agent. You don't really get a lot of that. You
2: exactly. You would think... Hey, former CIA agent who just happens to work at a telecom company. Maybe there's more to it, especially since she has a few hundred thousand dollars on her person in Africa just because? So it's sort of
1: this international cat and mouse game. So I'm thinking like there has to be a showdown at the end because Amy's working for this evil, shadowy company. So there has to be a scene, maybe Laura Linney's character and Dylan Walsh's character who is now Jason Patrick got together but then broke up so Laura Linney has to call him and be like look you're the only one who to can talk to Amy and there's a scene where like Laura Linney is face to face with Amy and she's like give us guns give us guns <laughs> And Laura, and Laura Linney's like, I have someone here who'd like to speak to you.
2: And he comes out, and he's like, Amy, remember me? And she's like, Jason Patrick, see you too. We'll know that Jason Patrick's playing the same character because he pulls out the flower that Amy gives Dylan Walsh at the end of the first movie. Ooh! Oh, nice
0: callback. It'll be. And you know what? You got to pay off the moment in this movie. Where Dylan Walsh talks about how, with Amy knowing how to do this, she could train other animals to then do it. And then you have, like, three or four gorillas that are being led by Amy to come in and save the day, up the stakes at the end. Oh, yeah, that's
2: right. That'd be awesome. It'd be the shadowy organization. They'll have their henchmen, hitmen, whatever you want to call them. It'll be just generic dudes and gear with the ski masks, all of a sudden it's Amy and a couple of silverbacks that kind of coast in, Rise of the Planet of the Apes style. Just Maybe not, no, wait, not on horses. No, that's be, that'd be too much. No, wait, it's 97. No, it's not too much.
1: They didn't evolve that far in one year.
2: <laughs> They'll burst um, into like a balcony and they start taking these guys apart. Not unlike the Grey Gorillas, but I'm going to hope they might have some better special effects or they might just cheap out and use the exact same costumes. I think
1: 1997 was a huge Forward. That was the year of Starship Troopers, so uh, maybe we could get Verhoeven to direct it, and it would be a real like social satire.
2: Yeah, it could be a social satire on consumerism of the mid-90s. There's a lot of I'm potential.
1: In. And so we'll close things off with a roundtable vote that we like to call Apes versus Humans. And this is the part of the podcast where we decide... <laughs> Who gave the better performance in the film? Was it an ape, or was it one of the humans?
2: Kind of a no-brainer, since all the apes were essentially just bad acting, and we had Ernie Hudson on the on the human side, I'd have to give it to Ernie Hudson. Not even the other humans, just him. Yeah,
1: <laughs> definitely. I mean, Amy was nothing to write home about. She was slightly more articulated than the gorilla in Foreign to be Wild, <laughs> but that's... <laughs> that's really not saying much and between ernie hudson and tim curry they might not have been doing well but they were definitely fun to watch chris oh
0: yeah it's it's the greatest working man in film history ernie hudson he's just he's perfect as that every man in every role he's in uh, i would i want him on my side when the uh, the ape human wars occur
1: This, I believe, brings the count to Apes 5, Humans 3. So uh, the apes still have the upper hand. By the end of Monkey Club, we will find out who prevails in the ultimate battle for the future.
0: I mean, they have it on points, but... I mean, the human side right now has Ernie Hudson and Charlton Heston. The gorilla (laughs) side has... King Kong, which is a lot of muscle, but also, like, Shockma, um,
2: <laughs>
1: I feel
0: like it's more even than the scoreboard is showing.
1: Oh my god, I'm just picturing King Kong and Shockma fighting Ernie Hudson and Charlton Heston.
0: I imagine it's like in the X-Men comic books <laughs> when, uh, Colossus throws, Colossus throws Wolverine. <laughs> I imagine it looks
2: a lot like that. Oh well, my god. I, I've seen Shockma, well, I'm pretty sure that's all they did anyway
1: uh just throw the monkey at the camera yeah oh my goodness so uh any any final thoughts on the film any trivia any tidbits uh
2: oh, man it's bad yeah it's surpri- <laughs> like it's surprise it just it's more of a testament to how little i actually had to watch as a child more than anything else now
0: and it's long it's a long movie for right? nothing
1: happening i remember i was halfway through it and i was like how much longer of this do I have to sit through? And I clicked on my screen and I had a, a whole other hour. And I was like, God <laughs> damn it.
2: We're already um, here.
1: <laughs> yeah. What more do you... Get to the goddamn city. Get to the whatever.
0: I mean, There's... think think about, again, to make the parallel, by by that point, by 40 minutes into Jurassic Park, you've had the T-Rex in the rain. You've had you, Sam Jackson and and Nedry being, being great. Um, you've had the kids under pressure. In this movie, they're farting around on a runway.
1: (laughs) Two little pieces of trivia before we go. Before Dylan Walsh, a certain British actor was approached to play the monkey scientist. Can you guess who? British actor. Mid-90s. Mid-90s. Johnny Lee Miller? No. no. (laughs) That makes sense. More sense than this. (laughs) Definitely more charisma than Dylan Walsh, but no, Hugh Grant.
2: (laughs) 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 It would have been awesome just to watch him kind of be befuddled throughout most of the movie. Yeah. I'm totally t- 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 sorry. I, I, don't, I don't understand. But maybe this uh, oh. leech on my um uh, 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 if you just cleaned it off, please.
1: <laughs> 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 and uh, Laura Linney's character was going to be played by Robin Wright or Robin Wright Penn. Huh. Depending on what year it was. Princess Bride and,
0: herself. Um, I believe Tim Curry uh, was initially that character was initially going to be played uh, by the Count <laughs> from Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, they got the next best thing.
0: One, two, Gorilla. Uh, uh, uh. I Uh, mean, it's basically the same.
1: Well... Alright, uh, that was quite a wonderful discussion Thank you, Vishan, for joining us oh, no. for episode 8. Oh, you're
2: welcome, thank you for having me.
1: For all things Monkey Club, as well as Cage Club Keanu Club, and Zack Attack, you can check out our website, cageclub.me that's cageclub.me or you can look up the Cage Club Podcast Network on Facebook. Until next time, thanks for tuning in, see you next week, or, well, into Weeks, whatever. Shut up. Bye, Amy. Good podcast.
2: I didn't have anything to add at the end. I couldn't make an accent.
1: (laughs) We're gonna keep that. I hope you know.
2: (laughs) Oh crap. All All right.
0: (laughs)